This is SciBite, episode 90, for April 16th, 2013. Hi everyone and welcome to SciBite, Jupiter Broadcasting's weekly science podcast live every Tuesday over jblive.tv at 7 p.m. Pacific, 7.30 p.m. Pacific, jblive.tv, and fresh Wednesday mornings over at jblive.tv. My name is Chris, and joining us every single week is our host, Heather. Hey there, Heather. Hey there, Chris. Hey, Heather, what are we talking about today? Today, we're going to take a look at some more Alzheimer's breakthroughs, nuclear fusion to Mars, finding an old Soviet Mars probe, a comet aiming for Mars, glasses <laughs> that read to you, viewer feedback, Curiosity news, and as always, take a pick back in history and uh, up in the side this week. Holy smokes, Heather, that sounds like more science that can fit in one show. Why don't we stick, kick it off with the news? All right, Heather, what is our first news inside by tonight? Already, there are new findings that actually show that the brain damage and Alzheimer's disease is linked to an over- activation of a new enzyme that they are looking at called AMPK. Hmm. So we've been looking at, and they're actually looking to see where it came from is that it's being, act, could be causing activation from a uh, type 2 diabetes drug, uh, metform, metformin. Whoa, which no is actually, kidding. Yeah, we're kind of the sideways glance as to how this kind of led to it. Now, we've talked about Alzheimer's disease off and on as the show's progressed. Yeah, it's been and, something we follow for a while. Yeah. And we've seen that it's you now these amyloid beta proteins sort of clump up on the various synapses and they, you know, they start killing off uh, specific brain uh, synapses in the brain, start mm -hmm. you know, slowing things down. Now, what this new lab was actually not looking at Alzheimer's disease, it was looking at you know, just the normal growth and develop of neurons in general. Oh, really? And they were, yeah. So they're up to see in 2011, they reported that, hey, this drug is causing this specific enzyme, AMPK, to you know, overactivate. So that's activating much more than it should. Hmm. And among all those in the animal models that they were using, they actually saw some impaired ability for neurons to grow what they call uh, stocks or axons, which is sort of what the, uh, where the communication lines are. That's how they communicate to each other. Like the connection points. Yeah. So, and at the same time, a different group was actually looking at clues at how that same enzyme might have a role in Alzheimer's disease. Hmm. So they were looking at a strain of mice specifically that are engineered to overproduce the amyloid beta, which uh -huh. we've known has something to do with Alzheimer's disease. Okay. And when they blocked the AMPK enzymes that you've been talking about, they actually prevented that spine loss so that the communication was, was maintained. So now they're trying to look at, okay, well, we know the amyloid betas have something to do with it, but they're in your brain sort of in some sort of naturally. It's just at a certain point, there's, there's plaques of them and they build up too much and something turns them toxic. Hmm. 
switch so to like those a, spots. So, so a certain amount of them is okay, but a certain amount is toxic. Yeah, well, for some reason, they can hit an overproduction. And then with that uh, overproduction, they also get sort of turned toxic. Uh-huh. So it's a combination of two, these two things. And there's a whole bunch of them, and they're kind of toxic, and they're killing off these sure. signals you know, that transmit things to neuron to neuron. Now you can... Now that in itself, the toxicity, you know, switch. They've actually seen the presence of what they call uh, tau uh, proteins, but they just kind of have known that there is a function. They just don't know the exact mm-hmm. interaction between hmm. the two. So now they're trying to look into that. So they're looking at these tangles of these proteins called tau. With they start to have multiple. Uh, alterations in their function and activity, and they start to uh, glom up on the neurons in the affected areas of the brain where Alzheimer's is, is occurring in the brain. So now those amyloid beta-oglomers, they can't cause the spine loss in itself. So they're just kind of glomming on there. They're not killing off the communication spines unless that enzyme, the AMPK that we are talking about earlier, is overactivating. So it's the, actually a combination of these two things. So it's kind of a, so they're trying to, to look into the domino effect of all these, what's coming up first hmm. and what's causing which, you know, triggers to happen. Boy, so, you know, I mean, as somebody whose family has been impacted by Alzheimer's, that honestly, that makes me feel like we're kind of at square zero. Well, I mean, when you, when you say you know we're looking at some of that stuff, that sounds like we're like we're like we're still very early, very very early in the stages of figuring this, figuring Alzheimer's out. And yes, I you know I, uh, I lost my grandma to Alzheimer's, and I did as well. And and it's something that I have a lot of personal experience with. Yeah, and it it feels. I don't know if discouraging is the right word, but it, I guess it feels like a bit of a setback to think that we're maybe this early in the stage of it. I don't really look at it that way. It's okay. think of it like a really long marathon. Okay. Like you don't know where the marathon has been going. Mm. You just know that it ends up in front of your door. And so slowly but surely you can kind of start backtracking it. Okay. So now you can sort of stop it a block or two away. Hmm. Now you don't know the path where it, you know, you don't know anything about how long the marathon is or where it was before those two blocks, but you start inching your way back. And okay, you'll say sometimes now you, you, know, you know some of the starting track, and now suddenly you know that halfway across town, there's a pit stop for the, for the race. Right. You don't know the connections. But, but we check every, heartbeat there. We check blood pressure there. Yeah, so you can, any of these points, you can say, hey, this is what's happening. How do we stop what's going on here? Now, wow. some of it is, you know, you have a, you know, a broken bone. You're, you know, you're getting pain relievers. You know, that's, you know, that's okay. You're treating the symptoms and you're calming that down. Now, you still have to go back and figure, okay, here's how to fix the bone. Hey, mm-hmm. why did the bone break? Right, right. Or do you have weak bones? Do you right. just, you know, fall over a root and was, or what? Was there some sort of deficiency there? Yeah, so it's tracking it backwards. 
Hmm. You know, it's just trying to figure out now you mm-hmm. can, even if, you know, we can essentially stop the marathon three blocks away mm-hmm. or a half mile back. Now, we don't know that it may be, you know, 10 miles long. So it's all about tracking it backwards. And any stopping point or any place where you say, okay, everyone has to walk at this point of the marathon, you know, if it gets longer, if you can stop it at a certain point, then any of those things would be good. Well, now, it's I tracking think it's farther and farther like, back. Uh, like this whole this whole plaque aspect, it kind of yeah. seems like where you slow things down with this plaque. And it, it, it kind of seems like an area to look at. But but I guess I suppose what I should take from this is like uh, we're not as far as long as perhaps I, the person whose family has been directly impacted by this. Like, you know, I mean, the most amazing person in our family was taken by Alzheimer's. And so for me, any kind of advance is not enough. Right. There's there's no there's there's really no story that you could come on to Sidebite with other than. By the way, science has cured has cured Alzheimer's that I'm 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 going to be like completely blown away by. But I guess mm-hmm. what the takeaway here is is that really we're starting to get an insight of of really kind of the mystery behind Alzheimer's and and yeah. how it affects directly the brain's communication. Yeah, I mean you're learning. Okay, these you know amyloid betas beta you know are causing an influx of this, and they're you know some. Calciums are triggering specific enzymes, and that appeared. You're you're tracking the dominoes. You're tracking the, you know, the mile markers of the, of the marathon. However you want to put mm-hmm, it, mm-hmm. but oh, as of we, your life, yeah. And if we start tracking these down, I mean, let's as a completely non. Uh, it's not a good direct analogy, but look at um, cancer over the last twenty years. Mm. You're like. You know, there's some hospitals that, you know, uh, children's hospitals that go, here's mm. the chart. Mm-hmm. This type of cancer had a 3% survival rate 20 years ago. Sure. Now it has 98. Right, right, right. So it's, right. you know, things are changing over time and we still right. don't know how to necessarily stop it in its tracks or stop it before it happens. Right, right. yep. But. If you zoom out to the 30 level, to the 30, to the 30 year level. Things yeah. actually look quite good. Yeah. Now, I, I agree with you. I mean, I think back at, you know, my grandmother, and I wasn't necessarily there with her for the later stages. I was at, you know, college and mm. away here. Mm-hmm. But, mm-hmm. you know, I remember, you know, the stories and my parents taking care of her and seeing pictures and looking through and be like, hey, where's grandma? Oh, wait, that's her, I believe. Huh. Mm. So it's, I definitely can get you on sort of that level I just say mm-hmm. you probably seem like it was a much more real for you yeah yeah a day a day to day for you I mean but, I, I mean I I honestly keep waiting for the uh I I wait for that I wait for the I wait for the cybite where Heather comes on here and tells us that uh by the way uh this cybernetic implant which costs you about a thousand dollars will cure Alzheimer's I mean and that's what the chat room I mean I'm reading the chat room as we go here and I see people's comments and they're like well eventually this is going to be solved by cybernetic implants and it sounds it sounds so crazy far out in the future but honestly Heather if you think about it it's what if what if things what if things could sort of maybe supplement and 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 augment that disease and and maybe mm-hmm. you will have a future episode where you say cybernetic cybernetics are enhancing or or Genetic genetic treatments are helping, or something like that. I mean, I wait for that day. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. Well, I mean, 
it's funny because I sort of blew you off the moment at first when you said cybernetic implants, but then I kind of uh, read the chat thing and really thought about it for a second. It's like um, epilepsy. Mm. You can treat it with medications, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. but some very uh, virulent or aggressive types, they can actually go in and put an implant into your brain mm -hmm. that's essentially like a, uh, you know, a defibrillator or a pacemaker for your brain that sort of gives a little shock mm -hmm. and it triggers your brain back into normal function. And, 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 so, and, and it seems like, I mean, right now to you and I, that seems yeah. like a little bit of wishful thinking. Yeah, I mean, for me right now, I see it, um, I see some sort of pill coming before then saying, all right, 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 if we can block this specific enzyme, if we can block this specific protein, mm -hmm. then, you know, start clearing it out, then it will slow it down. Right. Yeah. And my question is, at first, will it have to be tailored for a specific person? Mm. Because oh, there are some right. drugs where yeah. you go through that and they're like, wait, before we, does it work on everyone or do we have to specifically get your genetic details and tailor right. it for you? Right. And hopefully it would be something that would be able to work on a much wider basis. Mm -hmm. Now, if they ever did some sort of, you know, got to a, some sort of human trials, this would be the sort of uh, disease essentially that you're not, you know, some of these drugs you're, you're worried about, what are the effects 20 years down the line, 30 years down the line? Oh. With Alzheimer's, I don't think there's so much of that long-term, right. you know, worry. 10 years it's, is really the window. Yeah, so it's like, hey, if we can get to that point, then it would be great. Then wow. we can start worrying about. Yeah. So ten years would be would amazing, right? I mean, let's be honest. In this condition, ten years of 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 uh, cognition and and uh, re recollection. If you, boy, I mean, I I don't know if anybody's ever 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 suffered a family member who suffered from Alzheimer's, but ten years would be a gift, really. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean my grandmother's was fairly slow ish. Mm. Mm -hmm. But yeah, I mean anything that could you know stop the race at any point or slow it down then I would hope that they'd be able to go through and stop the overactivation of any of these enzymes or mm -hmm. proteins and I think that's part of it is they're like okay, if we stop this one thing, what happens? Okay, what then and Wait, is something happening before that to cause that? I mean, I mean, I don't mean to bring us down too much, but I know one of the things that my grandma would have liked as as a, a, a full menu of available options to her to extend her cognition as far as possible. I mean, yeah. she would have taken any route possible to stay oh, yeah. with her family, to stay her. And yes. even something that offers... I mean, let's be realistic here. Something that offers the patient a few more years is yeah. invaluable. Oh, yeah. I mean, in the cases where it's very, you know, there are cases where it happens very fast, even a few months mm -hmm. for some people. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, can yeah. give you that time yeah. so that everyone can see that person still. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's, it's kind of one of those things where I jump almost at every story. Like, I look at them, and some of them are kind of restating, you know, like, yes, another team has said that this still works, mm. but any, like, new, like, 
anything. I just jump on it so fast. Yeah, well, it's 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 something that once you've lived through it, you help you hope that you can help be part of the solution because it's it's one of those things where it seems like we should be able to figure out what causes it. We should yeah. be able to fix this. We should be able to solve this problem. And and even if you're just a if you're just a history buff, you look back through history, there's been a lot of really amazing figures in history that have been robbed. Um, yeah. and have been taken from us earlier than they should have because of Alzheimer's and things like Alzheimer's. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Good stuff, Heather. I, I always appreciate when you cover and, and when you're following this for us. So, we, of course, Heather always has links, more information to show us. A- anything else you want to talk about, Heather? Uh, no, just kind of checking this out step by step and mm-hmm. hoping every step we get. And, of course, if this impacts you, just check out what Heather's linked in the show notes. She's got videos. She's got links. She's got more information. In the show notes. But all right, Heather. Let's take a pause right here and remind folks. Uh, let's pick things up a bit and remind you that uh, while uh, I'll be at Linux Fest Northwest doing more work than uh, most people do in a 40-hour work week in a single day, I'll be at Linux Fest Northwest. That's right, friends. And while I'm over there, you can help support the Jupiter Broadcasting Network. And uh, you can do that by clicking the Amazon US, Amazon UK. We've got things down there for your, your you like eBay? We got links for eBay. You got you like Netflix? We got links for that. Netflix, boom. New egg, boom. You know what? Think Geek, boom. Best Buy, boom. Links at the bottom of the Jupiter Broadcasting website. But let me tell you, this is going to happen while I'm at Linux Fest Northwest recording interviews with the most important people in the open source movement. You know what's going to be happening at the same time? And I will not be playing this video game at all. That's right. The new Star Trek movie video game. Comes out. Yes. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now, yes. I'm going to be honest with you, Heather. It's a co-op. It's got a lot of co-op yes. features. And uh, you've got that built-in uh, husband factor, the espousal yes, unit. I mm-hmm. do. And we will be playing. We are going to be getting it. And we will be playing co-op and saving the world and I'm, all that good stuff. I'm Universe. not going to lie. I'm not going to lie. It's on Steam. And you can pre-order it on Steam. And if you do that, yeah. I'm not, I'm not going to make a dime off of it. However, if you use the link in our show notes to get it for the PlayStation 3, for the Xbox 360, or for a PC download, if you click that link, we will get a percentage of your purchase. Now, here's what it is. It is the new Star Trek movies game. And you know, every movie these days has to have a game. Is it any good? Yeah. I don't know. Here's my plan. I plan to offer Alan a series of complimentary social compliments on the live stream to convince him to play this in co-op now i think i think i can make a good kirk and i think alan can make a good spock now live stream i'm not asking you to influence his decision but if you were to tag alan at alan jude on twitter to convince him to play star trek co-op with me you might just be doing a public service but anyways we'll have a link to the new star trek game in our show notes and if (laughs) this will give you chat room cookies and and i will be amazed and heather you know you know, I mean, <laughs> let's just say theoretic, theoretically that you chat with Alan off air on a team speak and you convince him to play co-op with me. Let's just say theoretically, I okay. would be the first know. couple of things I, I could follow. The last part, I was not sure. Well, right, right. But if basically I just trying to get you to influence him and I'm happy. Okay. All right. Okay. There you go. So we'll have links to that in the show notes. And uh, if you grab that in the show notes, a percentage of your purchase will support not only the Cybite program. But it's actually how we pay for the bandwidth here on the Jupiter Broadcasting Network. And with that filed, it's time for the News Bite. <laughs> All right, Heather, what is the first story in the News Bite? All right, Mars. It is a planet that I like. 
if you may have noticed. <laughs> yes, I was actually looking at the story and uh, Aikido from uh, the game and other places has set, also pointed Wait, out to me. He's like, oh, the game? check the story out. The game? What game? Yes. Uh, the Star, uh, Star oh, Wars game. Sotor, okay, okay. Sotor. <laughs> See, I was said game because we were just talking about Star Trek <laughs> and my brain was about to trip on its face. <laughs> on its little... I, for all I knew, Heather, it was poker. For all I knew, to be for, honest with poker, you, poker. Okay. Yeah. I mean, for all I know, you're a big poker player. How do I know it any different, other than the <laughs> fact that I've played hours of video games with you? Well, you know. Right. <laughs> but one of the things for getting to Mars is the, you know, five hundred days or three months, ninety day, however long you're calculating to get to Mars. Oh sure. So now, now they're actually. Calc- there's a new published paper that's saying we could actually use a rocket powered by fusion that would make the trip a one to three month travel time. Okay, all right. So theoretical new engine that nobody's actually used in actual production yet. If we use this engine, we could cut travel theoretical travel time down. Yes. Okay. So a lot of wavy arms, but there actually is some... <laughs> Some data and some real science. Sure, sure. Mars so, in thirty days, Heather. Can it be? Can it be possible? That's the question mark. So fusion. That's when the nuclei of two or more atoms combine, like the sun, you know, converts energy into light, and hydrogen bombs get their destructive power. Oh, by the way, do not freak out mm. because it is uh, very much smaller. It is one million, it is one in a billion times smaller than a hydrogen bomb. Okay. I won't freak so, like, out. So, I was like, I had it down there. I was like, where are you, silly little concern moment? <laughs> moment of panic. Yes. <laughs> like, panic. They're like, okay, <laughs> calm down. This is through one of those, you know, NASA advanced concepts programs. So, you know, they go out and they say, hey, everybody, do you have an idea? We'll mm-hmm. give you six months and some money to put all your ideas together and give us some test results. <laughs> now, I, I may have done these many of these type of projects. Sure. So, so they last month they actually presented their analysis along with some you know detailed computer modeling and some experimental results, and they've actually tested all the different parts of the process, not all connected together. But all the di- various isolated bits have all been tested. So they're, now they're kind of going into the slowly combining them together and testing them. Taking the connected. best of each piece? No, I mean, I've done this with a, you know, a test. So there's, okay. you know, it's a big rig, you know, so you want to take, you know, Martian soil and you want to, you know, spit out rocket fuel or mm-hmm. in gas. So there's, you know, four different steps. Now, first, I'm going to test each of the four steps. I'm going to say, yay, each of these work. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Now, let's see if step one and two together will still still work. Right, and how how feasible are they combined? Yeah, and then attach the next one and the next one. So, it's kind of getting them working all at the same to get time together. And, and I got to imagine part of that out. is also, I mean, let's be honest. Let's get back to basics here. Part of that's got to be how much is it going to cost? If we do X, it's going to cost Y, right? I mean, yeah. part of that's got to be exploring that question. Yeah, and so 
they're looking at that and they're for this type of thing it's the amount of fuel needed to get from here to mars over you know the long duration trips that we have right now oh yeah sure you have that to kind of balance it out so you have you have to carry enough fuel to get you there then you have to carry the fuel so that you can carry the fuel can I, can I, now you are very close to this. Uh, yeah. Are we realistically looking at missions where we send somebody there and they come back? Are we actually talking about that or are we talking about one-way trips? Uh NASA talks about back and forth. Really? Now, when you hear now, them they, talk about that, is that BS or is that like actually they think they can do it? Well, of course they think they can do it. No, 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 no. No, here here is the the answer okay. is these types of goals are walking finish lines. Mm. Uh-huh. Let's face it. Um, right. Something to build towards. Yes. And it's kind of got a political twist to it because there are very specific um, budgets. There right. are you know, ideas. You know, right. This president says, we want to do this. And in four years... It may be different. Right. Yeah. One one president says one president says we're gonna mine an asteroid and we're gonna go to the asteroid. The other president says let's bring in let's bring an asteroid into the orbit of the moon. And, and then somebody else says no, we want to go to the moon. Right. And they're all going to they all have the possibility of. Uh, I mean, let's be putting let's be, somebody in different in charge of NASA. Let's be clear. I mean, this seems like one of unfortunately, uh, you look at all the scientific. Um, hurdles that NASA has to solve at the same time they also have to I mean the administration of the United States changes theoretically at at best every eight years and they have yeah. different priorities and they have you know f for some of them going to the moon is a lot more important than the others so yeah. so what you're saying is they've sort of, they sort of found a common ground here yeah well it also gets back to the part where I am very believing in the private sector. Mm. NASA, they have a specific portion of their budget that they set aside, that they have to set aside for what they call small business contracts. So they put out a, you know, a whole book that says, we have all these different things that we want solved. Everybody look at them, write in your proposal, we'll pick the best ones and we will fund those. So that it's not just them mm. thinking of ideas. Mm -hmm. It's, you know, my company and thousands of others saying, hey, we all have different ideas on how to make this work. How? And then they pick the best one. Okay. And so that sort of okay. lays the groundwork for ideas and technology. Sure, sure. So now we have, you know, six months and X amount of money to actually work on that technology. Right. And we can get it, you know, moving. And now somebody else can use that. We huh. can sell it or we can use it. Hmm. So that's kind of the place where I'm thinking... Like my belief is where NASA sits right now is that their sort of research, you know, they they have a you know a platform. They're are, they're are you saying they're federal R and D? Kind of. They have you know they're the shiny. There, everyone looks at that and says, "Yes, that's NASA." This is what we're they doing right. This is this is the beacon of scientific American achievement. Yeah, that's what some people say. I, that's what I think. And it is a good place. It is a very shiny, happy place yeah. where you every you know, kids in you know right, right small it's, town Kansas yeah. and mm -hmm. big town Mississippi or wherever you are mm -hmm. can look and say, hey, I want to work there. I want to do. And on the way, you might find that something else works. But in the meantime, you have all this private industry who 
only has to answer to themselves, mm. who doesn't have any sort of bureaucracy more than they want mm. that says, hey, you know, if this will work, then yeah, that'll work. But mm-hmm. I don't want to spend more money writing up 10 papers on that one piece of, on that one little bolt than I have to. I just want the minimum amount yeah. needed and let's move I forward. I mean, that's kind of what it comes down to is actually being able to sta- establish a reasonable cost to how much something takes. And so, yeah, well, it's your own money. Right. You know, it's the president of the company going, <laughs> all right, I, the bank will actually make me pay this back. Right. <laughs> I, I have to do this. So, right. and I need to pay my, right. I need to pay my employees. Kind of changes the equation a bit. <laughs> yeah. So I, I really am leaning more and more towards private industry. So if people like this say, hey, we think this will work, then, you know, we can make these you know, giant magnetic rings and... But it's know, this funny game. It's this metal. funny game where NASA sort of has to, at one, in one, in one sense, they have to be very reasonable and down to earth and actually admit to what they can actually accomplish. Mm-hmm. At the second hand, uh, almost simultaneously... They need to spur innovation in the private sector by shooting a little farther than they can actually reach. That way, the private sector has something to, uh, you know, there's a gap to actually fill. Yeah. Do do you feel like that's true? Yeah. I'm I'm trying to follow the the logic there. Well, I guess I'm saying that, like, in the sense that, you know, NASA can come out and say, we want to do X. Private companies solve this problem for us. Do you feel like that happens enough? Well, we've already seen some of that mm-hmm. where we don't have the shuttle. We have no way to get from here to the space station. Right. Unless Great example, rent, isn't it? Unless we rent the, a Russian taxi to get there. <laughs> right, right. And now, hey, wait, now we have a private industry that says, we'll mm-hmm. actually sell mm-hmm. you trips cheaper than you could do it yourself. And in this case, and it's an American than, company. And, yep, it's an American company. Yep. It's cheaper than what we pay to the Russians. It's cheaper than what we yeah. what NASA would have to do to create it themselves. Great point. So now we have, all right, NASA has this, you know, chunk of money. They pay private industry. Private industry gets it. They work on, on that. They continue to make innovations. So that's kind of where we're going. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. We are. And it's, it's interesting, too, because some of that has leaked into the Linux Action Show where I've seen um, sort of the end result of some of NASA's efforts where they where they publish, like, we just completed this research. We've just completed this research project. Here's the source code, and yeah. they drop it as a as a GPL code dump, and boom! Here you go, open source industry. You can do with this as you like, and that's in a sense like it's kind of uh, it's kind of it's kind of amazing. It's 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 one it's one sense bad because as an industry, we have to scramble to make sense of what we've just been given. But at the second mm-hmm. hand, like we've just been given. A ton of a ton of work, a ton of labor has gone into determine something, and we've just been given it. So it's one of those things where, like, it's 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 almost the perfect it's almost the perfect vision where the government helps spur innovation, but then steps back just the right just the right moment to let private industry sort of take over where they can't quite um, finish the job. Yeah, and it's it's one of those things where. This is one of those times where I try not to derail science to the politics mm, because mm, politics covers yeah. up all the science and, right, and then you stop yeah. seeing science right. and you start everyone <laughs> starts arguing politics. Right, which is silly. Yeah, but some of it affects. But in the meantime, deep down there is in this case, there is you know they're triggering 
very instant, you know, little explosions. And it's not like a rocket that you'd think. It's, you know, they have these big magnetic metal rings that they can use uh, lithium and they can crush these rings down to power this rocket. And so you have hmm. all these very, you know, you have, they use it for nuclear bombs, but it's very, you know, scary, but it's only one billion, like I said. So they have where it's, you know, they cause a very minute explosion and it puffs them forward a little. Yeah. And then they stop. And it's sort of this stop and go. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of, you know, you look at it and you say, oh, you have concerns about, you know, the nuclear fusion and you have the concerns about, yeah, well, does it actually make sense? Yes, as a Mars mission, but can actually use it. But it's one of those times where, like, really like their test, you know, they have this big idea. They have all the different little pieces and they have to test the different pieces in order for them to move forward. So they're just, essentially, we're getting lots of little building blocks. This company says, hey, clunk, we think this rocket, this little rocket engine will work. And you see a whole bunch of other things put out. And so when we can finally start moving things forward or when a private company or when NASA starts being able to say, okay, we can actually start moving now. We want this piece and that piece and this piece and put it all together and start making a mission. And then you can start make, making things work together. Wow. Yeah, and, so. and that's that's well put, Heather. All right, so uh, before we move on from the news bite, you have another story to cover, don't you? Yes, I do. More Mars, because Mars is awesome. And <laughs> I also saw this video, this uh, story, but Alan from TechSnap, as we were talking earlier, he actually Mr. pointed Jude? this out to me as well. The, yes. The Mr. Jude? The Mr. Jude also okay. pointed this out to me, making okay. sure I did not miss it. <laughs> so in 1971... Back in the day, the Soviet Union launched a Mars 3 mission. Hmm. It had an orbiter and a lander. Now, six months later, it arrives at Mars. Descends down, separates from the orbiter, goes through the atmosphere, you know, has parachutes, retro rockets, if any of this sounds familiar from recent times. Oh, wow. Um, Did you, have you mentioned uh, nuclear reactors or lasers? No, they didn't have either one of those. Uh, okay. So, but it got it several hours later, you know, lands on the surface transmits 20 seconds of data, go silent. Mm. Never heard from or seen from again. Oh. Until now. Oh. Finger in air, eyebrow raise. <laughs> Hello, B- billion so, dollars. Yes. So there's uh, the largest Russian, Russian internet community is about curiosity has actually been looking through the data of the high resolution imaging from uh, the reconnaissance orbiter. You know, it's taking all these high-resolution images of Mars, all mm-hmm. these different strips. Mm-hmm. So they said, okay, it's a sort of a crowdsourcing thing going on where we say, by all the calculations, it should have landed in this area. Now somebody said, all right, I'll even go through, and they modeled, you know, what the different pieces of the hardware would look like. You know, so I, like, okay, if this, it should be this size, and if it landed this way, then it would look like, you know, the pixels would be arranged in this level. So everyone look in this area, Look for things that look like this. Right. And actually, they, they were looking at images from uh, November 2007. And they found some likely candidates, some actually promising candidates. When you say they, do you mean people on the internet? Yes, people on the internet. This just, is, just like people like us. Yeah, well, Russian people like us. Right. Only we speak Ruskies. Yeah, we, we do not speak... 
Right. And we Google search Bitcoin mining a lot. <laughs> I it, in English, right? Most likely, <laughs> probably. So, <laughs> probably. So they're actually able to see four different features that looks like the parachute, the heat shield, uh, the retro rocket, and actually the lander itself. And so all of them are sort of size and shape hmm. that you'd expect them to be in. They're sort of arranged in sort of a line, just like as they would. You know, in an entry descent landing sequence. So, and they actually did some follow up images last month of you know, the, sh- the so the same feature. So it's not just some sort of fragment or you know of the of the image or the data or anything in the you know the, the dirt hap- happens to be there. But they actually saw it all again. And of all the features, the um, uh, what they call the candidate parachute is the most distinctive. It is the most. Uh, for lack of a better word, shiny. It's uh-huh. a bright spot. Right. Right, and of it course. Is, it's about the size that we think it should. Mm. And it sees, you know, it's it shows about eight and a half, you know, a little over eight yards. And they think that the diameter would actually be you know, 12 yards. So it makes sense if it was, you know, it's not fully extended. Mm. But it makes sense that that would still be the brightest spot. If you remember um, last SciBite, we actually talked about the Curiosity rover's parachute and how they were looking at it and how one image to the next three mi- three months in uh, you know three with three months in between the parachute actually looked different they had you know sort of the wind had blown it around so it looked like it was a different configuration hmm. so if the wind on Mars is blowing all these parachutes then it would continually kick off the dust so it would remain you know, brighter, shinier. Which also makes sense because we've seen other right. um, landers, um, possibly Viking, I don't recall exactly which, but they've actually seen other parachutes in where they it's been seen for a very long time. You know, other specific landers, they sort of disappear under the Martian dust eventually. They get, you know, buried and you can't see them anymore. But the parachutes we've been able to see and we're like, we've been like, well, you can see those for a long time, and that is, you know, we've seen direct evidence now that that is probably because, you know, the Martian wind is blowing the sound around, but it's also blowing the parachutes around, which continually is knocking the dust off of them. Right. So, now they're, they, of course, they can't say for sure that this is what they are. There's some explanations that's like, okay, yeah, it could be that, and we haven't knocked all of them out of the way, but it looks very significantly like they have found this poor little lost Russian, uh, Russian uh, Mars lander, which is actually the first one to actually land on Mars and transmit anything, Duh. even though it only lasted 20 seconds. Now, that, it oh, go it got there first. Did I skip right over our pick this week? I didn't think so. Okay. All right. Good. I, I wanted to make sure I didn't... I didn't, I didn't no, we talked about the game Okay. because you were trying to con- convince Alan to play. Oh, right, right, right. Okay. So there you go. Well, and Heather has links to more of that in the show notes, including uh, pictures which look surprisingly pristine. You can check that out. But with that file, Heather, any other thoughts on that? I don't think so. All right. Then you know what that means. It's time for the Two Byte News. On the side bite. Oh, wait. All right, Heather, what do we have on the 2-Byte News? All right, today is full of Mars. And it's not just because I have, you know, a a natural inkling towards Mars. No, of course not. I would never assume that. 
Well, no, I do, but these stories just happen to be at the same time also. So there was a comet that people may have heard of that they said, oh, no, it's going to hit Mars next year. Oh, I hadn't heard that. Okay, all right. So should I be no. freaking out right now? Okay, I'm ready uh, to freak out if you want me to. I can freak nope. out. Nope. Oh. Even less likely. So they'd looked and they'd say some very, you know, a small amount of data that said the orbit looked like it could hit Mars. That it would smash into it. And now it's they've been able to get more data. And in fact, they're able to go back and say, hey, look at the old ones. Is the is the comet in these older images in different locations so you can sort of data in the data, track it backwards and get a much more precise um, orbital information so you can track it forward. And now the probability that it's actually going to hit Mars, it was 1 in 8,000. Now it's like 1 in 120,000 chances that it will actually hit. So it'll get its closest approach on... October 19th of next year, 2014. But, you know, of course, they'll continue to sort of refine everything about you know, where it is and the exact orbital details. But. <laughs> so I shouldn't worry yet. No, Martians are even safer. Oh. I don't know, Heather. I feel like you need to deliver more drama. Can you, uh, can you at least bring me, bring me into the situation room and explain to me how, how it could be very close to, uh, like an environmental impact or something? Oh, no. Oh. All right. All right. Here is where it's dead. There <laughs> will be a comet in the sky. There, and I like that. And it may hit us. <laughs> or it may just look really awesome from the surface of Mars. Get your camera ready. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. So we got the little story about glasses, don't we? We do. These are glasses that can actually read to you. I'm ready. Now, now this is not just for the extremely lazy. This is for, like, the blind. So you can... Is a, a project challenge, you know, issued by a professor. These are some college students. So, faculty member uh, Sima Pisaris, founder of uh, Games Trader. She said, "All right." She's a professor and says, "Okay, class, I want you to think of, you know, a social entrepreneurship project. So sure. Think of something that that would work, and that you could actually go through." And so they, you know, they actually, you know, said, "Hey, it's a real breakthrough product." So now what they've been able to do is they've been able to design this portable, they say affordable, and operate without an actual internet connection. So you, it's just a pair of glasses with a uh, high-res camera. And, you know, think, uh, not like glasses like everybody wears, more like like thick-rim sunglass types. Mm, okay. They have a little camera built into one of the sides, and it takes a picture. And then it can use, go into a... Um, you know, a program that says, all right, we're going to pull out the actual letters. So now you can walk, so they can walk around a store or a library, hold, you know, like the a book or the cereal box in front of them, the picture, the camera will take a picture of it, translate that into words, and then you went in the E, you know, ear, an earpiece will be in the glasses, and that sort of reads to them. Oh, nice. It's like, this cereal's full of, chocked full of honey, oats, and goodness. <laughs> and they could, but, it really offers a lot of freedom. They're working with um, closely with, you know, various uh, groups. So they they call it the iTalk. So they're looking to get it into as many different languages as they can. You know, they're going through all these different competitions to sort of get the the word out, as to say. So 
it'll sort of allow everyone to go through uh, the blind user to be able to access all this printed material without having to, you know, carry a more bulkier or expensive equipment. Mm. That is very nice. So, nice give them a lot of them. yes, give them uh, a lot more freedom. All right, Heather, we'll stand by. Stand clear because I must press this button. The side by 2000 tells me we have. Oh, boy. Oh, my goodness. As a matter of fact, we have a little incoming feedback, don't we, Heather? We do. All right. Now, it's not just me who's doing all this Mars stuff. Jacob Roker from the. Jacob Roker from Twitter asks. If we landed someone on Mars, would mm -hmm. they go to the same spot as the rovers, or would they pick something new, someplace new? You got to go somewhere new, right? It's a combination of things. Now, okay. we will obviously use the orbiter to look out and sort of eye different locations. We'll say, all right, where's the best locations to land? You have you know, specific soil composition. We want you know amount of water in the soil to sort of we can get that up out of the soil. You hmm. want specific terrain so it will be right. safe enough to land, but right. possibly interesting enough that maybe a close enough to something interesting that a rover couldn't go on to very easily. Worth our time, but just enough yeah. difficult that the rover couldn't robotically go to it. Yeah, well, of course, it's going to be a lot faster. I mean, with the, you know, Curiosity or any of the rovers, you know, the scientists look and they say, there's a rock over there. All right. We will go to the rock. And then like three days later, they're at the rock. Then they can, you know, laser the rock, mm -hmm. you know, versus, you know, me, if I was on Mars, I'd be like, cool, rock, step, step, step. Right. Six Let's hours. Check this rock out. Six hours. All the science you need is done. <laughs> yeah. So there's yeah. definitely, you know, that's going on. Then yeah. you can say, you know, human looks at it, human decides you know, right there on the spot what's going on. Right. So most likely would be someplace different, someplace you know, very interesting, possibly close enough so that, you you know, it'd be a chance that you could go out and look at one of the old rovers. Now, if the rover, say, Curiosity as of right now, finds something mind-blowingly awesome, if they actually say, hey, guys, we see old Martian sludge. Mm. We see it's, you know, fossilized sludge. Then, of course, you know what? Humans might go there because <laughs> if there's something that mind-breakingly awesome, then you want to be able to double-check exactly what's going on. You want to be able to have hands-on, eyes-on, you know, data checking here. So most likely the answer would be when and if exactly future future uh, Cybite hosts, maybe even us, possibly show hosts seven and eight actually see us landing on Mars. Then I buy 145. Let's say, I don't want to, I don't want to go down for that. Ish. I wish more like 322 <laughs> maybe, but so you're going through and you see that and you're like, okay, so most likely someplace new, someplace just interesting enough, but safe enough. And using all the data that we have from everything we've had so far to give us the best chance to make scientists argue for as long as they possibly can about where we should land. Because they will all argue about where we should land. And everyone will have different ideas and different things that they want to test. But then once 
you know, so all those things are going through. Now, it will be a much shorter discussion if, you know, Curiosity finds something really awesome. Then everyone go, yeah, we don't want to be the one to speak up and say, no, I don't want to go check that out. We right. get ostracized. No, the scientists will want to eat lunch with us. Right. <laughs> and and it yeah. could be Alfredo. Nobody wants to pass on Alfredo. No. Yeah. All right, Heather, while we're up in the clouds, why don't we uh, blast over to Mars and let's just finish it off. And lift off of the Atlas V with curiosity. That's right. All right, now I know there can't be much to talk about. We've got we're in this period of time where communications is intermittent. There must be nothing to update us on. Yeah, pretty much. Now <laughs> it's we're in conjunction, which means every twenty six months or so, which means that the sun is sitting practically right between us and Mars. And so any communication might get a little spotty. Mm. Now we'll, you know, we've given you know, Curiosity and the Orbiter and even a little opportunity he keeps chugging along. We've given them a whole little honey-do lists of where they're supposed to, they have chores that they're supposed to do and they will continue <laughs> to report back to us. I like the honey-do analogy. That's good. Yes. Now, once the conjunction is over, they'll dump all that data back to us again to make sure that it actually you know, is right and it's all the data is there. Now, we're not going to tell them to do anything mm. because um, radio transmissions aren't good. And if it only gets part of a transmission saying, you know, start laser, stop wheels, you, you don't want some cross-contamination of it saying, hey, I should keep driving. Chug, 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 chug. Ah! Right. Go no. off a cliff. Yeah. Well, there's no real cliffs, no. but you, you get the analogy. Right. That's what my little ad was about, too. I liked it. So... So we've got that, and they have, we've had these uh, Curiosity Rover reports where they have, you know, one member of the team stand up. Of course, one of the famous ones was the first one where it was a uh, Mohawk guy mm-hmm. going on, and they kind of tell exactly, like, what's going on in the past week or what's been going on in the past month or so. So they've kind of released one kind of going over what, you know, some of the things that have been released over the past month or so. We've talked about, you know, a great deal of them, but if you're interested in actually kind of visualizing a lot better the whole conjunction um, process and right. you know you can't picture my arms waving around in the air very well explaining this then there's a great YouTube video there there's also um, like I said the Curiosity Rover report there in the show notes and, can, and the return of Mohawk guys what you're really telling me no Mohawk guys not there oh, oh. but it's, the, it's those reports we haven't had one of those uh, Rover reports in a little while hmm. okay Okay. But they are they are back. At least this one, they kind of, I think they wanted to put one out so that nobody forgot about them too much. Right. You know, it really is something, isn't it? The way they've been doing the U- the weekly YouTube videos and all of the social media stuff, the Twitter accounts. I mean, it's like it's like NASA two point yeah. in a way, right? Their 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 weekly videos haven't been quite yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, scheduled. Yeah. Uh, I, I'd have to say that certain science. Um, shows that might give you bite-sized news right. are much more regular. Right, right. Regularly re- uh, produced. Other science shows that give you bite news weekly on Tuesdays and win- fresh Wednesdays. Yeah. Yeah. They may be more you know, consistent, right. but uh, when they do post to things, it's it's nice. They kind of <laughs> re-go over, over everything and yeah. you actually see the images and the pictures of what they're talking about. So yeah, Absolutely. 
All right, Heather. Well, speaking of things that are consistent, why don't you just hop in the time machine, which so far, for 90 episodes in a row, has been quite consistent. Here we go. Yeah. Wow. You know, if you had to ask me, I'd say this one felt like 92 years, but it actually turns out to be 93 years. April 17th, uh, 1930, 93 years ago. What happened this week in science, Heather? The discovery of this new rubber-like compound was discovered in a laboratory notebook. Hmm. Neoprene. <laughs> yes, he noticed that some... He's going through his lab, and he noticed that Dr. Arnold Collins. He noticed, hey, a mixture that I had done, like, weeks before has now solidified. So, you know, I, I do all these tests, and, you know, me, I'm in the lab, and I have everything little bottles, and I have them up on my shelf. And then every once in a while I go and I'm like, yes, I need the data from, you know, three weeks ago. And I look and I'm like, huh, it looks different now. Hmm. Now this gentleman, he goes, huh, it's solidified into a somewhat rubber-like mass. Hmm. So it's the polymerization of monovinyl acetylene. Ooh. I almost got all through it without tripping. Well. So it's close. Yeah. So he was doing this research and over the next couple of weeks, um, very gradually he recognized that hey, this is a bad potential for great synthetic rubber. Now, they initially called it uh, chloroprene. And now, uh, since 1936, known as neoprene, now, as far as, you know, they said, hey, it would be useful for products impervious to oil or electrical wires for coating. And now we can see it in um, a variety of things, a laptop sleeve, orthopedic, orthopedic braces, electrical insulation, liquid, and sheet you know, membranes on flashlights, on automotive flat, you know, fan belts, in uh, scuba diving suits. So these, all these different things, all because somebody was checking out their old notes and said, right. huh, this, this mixture that I made three weeks ago now looks different. And you know, really, in the grand scheme of things, 93 years ago, not yeah. that long. For, for long ago and not that long. Yeah, exactly. Just the right amount of long ago. All right, Heather, well, let me retune the side by 2000 while we look... Up in the sky this week. Go on Thursday, April the 18th, the moon is reaching its first quarter phase. And also this week, so they have the, they call the sickle of Leo. The Leo is the constellation, uh, the lion. So you hmm. can see the head of it. It's sort of like a backwards question mark with the brightest star being at the base of that question mark. It doesn't have a dot. It's just the backwards question mark. An upside down question mark. Uh, right? I mean, I look no, at that. I look backwards. at that. Okay. All right. Okay. All right. Science. <laughs> Science. It's, it's, I think it's just flipped left to right right now. Of course, the sky turns around, so it'll, it'll happen to shift like that. But on Friday, it will be to the upper left of the moon. And on Saturday, it's just above the moon. And on Sunday, it's to the upper right of the moon. So you'll actually be able to see this you know, backwards question mark in the sky if you're able to get into a dark location. Um, on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. So you'll know, hey, that is the constellation Leo, and the brightest star at the bottom is called Regulus. Mm. Now, Jupiter this week, which is, you know, a, a fairly good planet, we shall agree here on Jupiter Broadcasting. Not bad. Yeah. So after sunset this week, it's going to be rising in the west. Uh, well, it's going to be in the west, sorry, right. should I say, and sort of moving down the, towards the horizon until 11 or 12 when it actually will set. And, of course, the red giant star Aldebaran will also sit 
below Jupiter because they like to ha- they've been hanging out a lot lately. Right, but it's important to note that the giant star sits below Jupiter. Yes. Yeah, and it's it's not Mars. It is just the giant star. Right. It might look a little red, is what you're saying. Yeah, it looks orange right. red, but but it's actually a giant star, a giant star that is being in money, which you might consider subservient to Jupiter. <laughs> right. Right. We'll go with that. Okay. Bad head shake, yes. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> and Saturn, not to be left out, at the end of twilight this week, it's going to be low in the east to southeast. It'll be rising through the sky about all evening. It'll be highest in the sky around 1 to 2 a.m. daylight savings time. So we've got the, the sickle of Leo, the backwards question mark, hanging around the moon on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. But Jupiter off in the west after sunset and we've got saturn just after twilight in the east to southeast so lots of different things this week very nice heather all right well i believe that brings us to the end of this week's so. episode all right there you have it, everyone well don't forget sidebite is live on tuesdays over at jblive.tv and don't forget you can email us sidebite at jupiterbroadcasting.com or hit that contact link or tweet heather over at jb underscore mars underscore base heather thank you for the great show Thank you. All right, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning this week's episode of Sidebite. We'll see you right back here next week. <laughs>